Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. With Lisa Sanchez and Diana Kimball Berlin. Brought to you by MailChimp. Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. Here we are at, um, this is our last episode that we are recording in our first marathon of lots of episodes in one day. (laughs) We just had a moment where we looked at each other and we were like, can we go on? Should we go on? Yes. We decided we have one more episode in us, maybe like four more episodes, but those would start getting like really close to the bone. (laughs) (laughs) But also I feel this is proof that we really are conversational Olympians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband uh, used that phrase to describe me once when I was like, I wanted to talk more about something. And he was like, Diana, I can't keep up with you. (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't have this much capacity for in-depth conversations. (laughs) And thus coaching. Thus coaching, yeah. I need an outlet for being a being a conversational Olympian. So the other outlet is should we? And our question for like our final question of the day, we're gonna go out in a blaze of glory. Should we budget? Oh, I'm really excited about this topic because it's uh it's very meaty. I mean we don't talk about money very much on this podcast. Do we ever? We might not have ever talked about money. Okay. We, we talked about money when we talked about how much to raise f- through our Kickstarter. Yep, yep. Um, okay, so money. It's a. It's like the kind of topic you're not supposed to talk about mm-hmm. in at Sunday dinner or something. I don't know. Money, Whatever. politics, religion. Yeah. Over it. I'm over those those rules. Oh yeah. <laughs> over religion. You went to divinity school. Oh sorry, no no. I mean I'm over having rules about what we can't talk about. Oh yeah. We should talk about whatever is most important to us. And um money is really important. Uh it's the quiet force behind so many of the things that we are able to accomplish together. It's a constraint that when it's not talked about becomes the elephant in the room. Yes. And so what's interesting is that um, so so each of us has a particular relationship to money and managing finances that is part of our personal life and our marriages and then we have the relationship and the money management configuration between the two of us because should we studios is a business Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah when we made the decision to form an llc we were signing up to do taxes together every year until we don't anymore yeah and to pay the twice a year um, llc um, tax in California. Is it twice a year? <laughs> We're already. I think, yeah, I think it's twice a year. Okay. Yeah, it's 
All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you take care of that part. <laughs> <laughs> so this is very funny because most of the time I think of myself as like not really a numbers person. Although for the record, I was very good at math. Mm-hmm. I, I always got A's in math. I also went to computer science camp mm. when after eighth grade. So just... Like, all the time, I'm like, oh, English major, blah, blah, blah. But I can do numbers. It's just, like, I'm out of practice. Yeah. I'm, like, right there with you. Always been great at math. Really good at spreadsheets. I actually did the best at business school. Your grades don't really matter. Um, but they still give you they still give you a semblance of a grade. And my best grades were always in finance. I did amazingly on the finance finals because I made such beautiful spreadsheets, which will not be a surprise to anyone who knows me. But it turns out that just like being meticulous is a big part of doing well in like doing accounting and finance, right? It's just like be meticulous. So here's the interesting thing. I went to divinity school. You went to business school. But I'm the one who's most concerned about budgeting <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to should be. <laughs> well, and I don't think that's an accident because one of my takeaways from business school was you got to spend money to make money. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, my I, maybe my takeaway from divinity school was God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I know I had a lot of weird takeaways mm, from business school. For divinity school. Divinity yeah. school, yeah. So, um, uh, Diana, there's this thing. So related to you have to spend money to make money. There's also this thing that I think you say and that I read in the Enneagram book that goes with your type. It's things will work themselves out eventually. Yeah. Things will just work. I agree with that. You say that. Really? You say that. (laughs) I think you said it on on Wednesday when we had our deep talk. Mm -hmm. Um, You were like, yeah, but I was was really worried about fairness, feeling worried that I don't contribute equally to our business or that, like, I don't have – feel like I have a clear way to define what is equality in our business, which made me feel like, okay, I guess equality is something I'm concerned about. Um, And then you were like, but everything will, I just figure everything will work itself out, balance itself out over time. Yeah, I have a very long time horizon perspective, and I'm sure that I would be more concerned about equality if I felt like I was behind. So I want to acknowledge that's not just like something I don't care about. It's something that I don't care about for you. (laughs) You Like like I'm not worried about you. I'm much more worried about me contributing, quote unquote, enough. But like what I've realized through this process is that you also worry about contributing enough. That's why we're such good partners is we both worry about that. So we never actually, it never becomes a problem. Yeah. So the question of should we have a budget? Well, well, um, in my personal life, in my, my marriage, we have a budget, um, which we um, come back to at least every month. And we adjust all the time. Like, we're very attentive to the budget. 
Um, and then do you want to share anything about your personal life? Oh, yeah. We don't have a budget. <laughs> we just make money and it all works out in the end. It really mm. does. Like uh, that sounds I don't love hearing that out of my voice because it sounds irresponsible, but it is the truth right now. Like we don't budget and it all works out. Mm. Yeah. So so for me, like this idea of things will just work themselves out over time is like very tenuous like I've had enough experiences mostly early in my life but some kind of in the middle where things did not work themselves out you know and and so I don't really have that much faith in that idea even though I think it's true for me and you right now you know well, and this is the classic thing about uh, like generational wealth, and like I, I mean, I don't need to say this, but it is true that I have a relationship with my parents where, like, yes, they have money, and also I have money, and those are different sets of money. And if I really needed money, they could give me like a little bit of money, but like transferring wealth quote unquote, from generation to generation isn't like the focus of our family life. Um, But it's also the case that I feel like the bigger the bigger risk is not taking enough risks. Like Mm. I feel very strongly that as long as there is a backstop where like any one decision, as long as it's not part of a pattern forever, like as long as there are tight feedback loops, um. As long as there are tight feedback loops, it's better to take risks than not. Because, for instance, like the way we we have a studio space, you and I have a studio space that we rent and we rent it month to month. And so if it ever became a disaster, like we weren't bringing in enough money to cover the studio for like a month or two, it's not like we would be out a year's worth of rent. You know, there would just be the backstop of like my personal resources or all our personal resources. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets tricky is when it becomes our. But I just don't worry about it that much because I'm like, worst case scenario, like I would just pay a one time, uh, you know, owner's investment of eight hundred dollars. That's I didn't mean to say that, but that's how much we pay for our studio space. Um you know, I would pay a one-time thing or a two-time thing, and then it would be over, and I would have learned a lesson. It just doesn't seem like the worst-case scenario is that bad. Mm-hmm. And so when you started to talk about the, like, transferring generational wealth and, like, having backstops, it really, like, I became, like, so nervous. Like, I just felt, like, panic rising in my chest because I was like, Diana. I need you to know that I'm the backstop in my life. Mm -hmm. I am the backstop. I'm the highest earner in my entire extended family. I'm the only one who makes a living, you know, consistently and has the capacity to support even one other person and has real financial independence. And so... I think when I am taking on new risk or, like, um, accommodating, like, um, surprise opportunities, you know, it just feels terrifying every time. It feels terrifying every time. And since it doesn't feel terrifying to you, and since I want to 
move into a different mindset, I'm like, okay, like at least I have a business partner beside me whom I trust, who has confidence, who has a lot of education and expertise in the area of taking business risks. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I'm just gonna close my eyes and like run into the wave, you know, with you holding my hand. But like, I wish for a way for me to not have to close my eyes, you know? Yeah. I don't want you to have to numb out, you know? And I think that I have wanted so badly to have a perspective of abundance and just to sort of like, la, 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 like put my fingers in my ears about my own relationship to risk until I have counter evidence, like until I have proof that risks can be worth it. And, you know... I'm accumulating that evidence all the time, but it doesn't feel as solid. Or maybe it I'm about to say it doesn't feel solid for me, but what I'm actually doing is guessing it doesn't feel as solid for you. Yeah, it doesn't feel solid for me, I think because um, I, like I've come around to having faith in myself to not become homeless. But like that's been a process. I think I feel pretty good about not accidentally stepping into a trap door that makes me and my family homeless. Mm -hmm. But that's been the way I've operated for a long time. Like, I think I don't anymore feel like it's a trap door waiting for me. Um, um, But the, the, the mindset... Yeah, I don't feel anything solid. And I also just made a big change in my life, which was to go independent, which was to take in a risk that was like really for me to support my my, um, creative pursuits and the things that support my purpose in life. Um, But it means now when before I felt like I was the backstop, Except I was also always either attached to a company or a university and like a set of parameters and resources whereby I might seek something else, you know, like, I don't know what it would be, but like a some kind of secure structure. And now I took on like more risk, you know, and so... I'm at a place where I'm like, yes, I'm I'm ready to take that personal risk in my life. So then it sheds new light on business risk. Like somehow it feels even more scary because of me releasing my anchor I had to a bigger ship. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have gone really far down the road of risk taking. Like you're actually further than I am right now because I'm still working for a company. I'm still in a secure structure. That's part of why I feel like, uh, you know, some risk at the edges keeps life interesting. Um, I feel like it would help to paint a picture of our business finances right now because yeah, I know yeah. I'd be curious if I were listening. Yeah. So uh, season one of Should We, we made on zero money. It was probably more like $10 over, you know, 10 or 
14 episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was basically no money. Yeah, it was iPhone in a cup and then published to SoundCloud and iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was season one. Then we decided to go big. Very, I was going to say famously, but I guess it depends how long you've been following the show. <laughs> if you'd like to go back to uh, the end of season one, beginning of season two, we went through a whole journey to uh, run a Kickstarter. We went through the process of deciding it's not a $1,000 Kickstarter goal. It's a $10,000. $10, we like recorded the conversation where I spring that on Lisa and it was very <laughs> real, very raw, like a kind of a... Um, a premonition of these kinds of conversations. Like you can hear some of these dynamics in play there. Yep. And we did it uh, with the help of our listeners. Uh, not just the help, like it was all them. Um, but it happened. We raised $10,000, a little more. And that uh, we budgeted really carefully. We knew exactly where that money was going to go. It was going to go about a third to setting up the business, a third to recording and publishing the audio of the season, and a third to our identity. Mm -hmm. And that's about what happened. And I loved that time where it felt like abundance. We got one big payment at the beginning, and then we could plot out exactly where it was all going over the course of the next six months, and then it would go to zero. And that's exactly what happened as well. It did go to zero all the way, and we did everything we needed and wanted and committed to do. Um, so that happened. In parallel, uh, I started uh, learning to be a coach, which involved going to coach training, which involved being coached. And in that process, I realized that my true dream I mean, one of many dreams, but one that I had not been acknowledging was I really wanted a studio space. I wanted a place to go that was just for creativity. And in that, you know, very short practice coaching session, I realized and said out loud, this is my dream, but it feels impossible. And like impossible is a funny word, you know, as soon as I'm very stubborn. So as soon as I hear impossible spoken out loud, I'm like, oh, well, I mean, what's the proof that it's impossible? I would have to try to know for sure that it's impossible. So I uh, gave myself the homework of going on at least one studio tour, and that was allowed to be the end of it. Like I just wanted to, you know, my favorite phrase, touch the dream, so that I knew more about it and so that it was like a choice to do or not to do, not just this impossible thing on the horizon. And the first and only studio space that I visited, like, was expensive, but fine. You know, like it was, I'm not going to say affordable, but it felt worth it. And it felt worth it as an investment in myself and the business. It was something that you could afford. It was something that I personally could afford as an investment in the business. So yeah. it's not like we had money coming in to support it. It's like I believed that it would be worth it for whatever should we represented for me. Mm -hmm. And it was worth it just for me. Like I was not like I was only evaluating its worthiness on like, am I, what is my willingness to pay for having this in my life? And once that willingness to pay was sufficient um, and I personally was able to like make the trade-offs necessary to fund it, at that point I was like, it would be way more fun to share it. And that's when we started spending more money than we made. <laughs> right, because then it was... It was a business expense that was equally shared in terms of our presence, 
But in terms of like the affordability and the backstop, that was you mm-hmm. personally. And we were totally deliberate about that. Like we yeah. had we had plenty of conversations where it was a little avoidant of me to like not want to even explore what it would look like to both pay for it. But I just kind of knew that wasn't possible and I really wanted it. And I really was clear in my soul that I it was better for even if it were just something I was doing for my like my interest in the business and my interest in our shared purpose, that it would still be more fun and globally better to share it. Mm-hmm. And um, you slash we have done a great job of of keeping to that vision. Like I have felt that it's our space, you know, and that and it has served as a really fruitful platform. The investment you meant it to be, it has become. We both host in-person coaching sessions there. And we work on the podcast. We have our partner meetings, all kinds of... We store inventory there. All of our enamel pins are there, by the way, for (laughs) anyone who still wants one. Our stickers. I mean, a lot happens there that in seasons one and two, we were doing in our living rooms. And it was certainly like a little bit of tension you know like making this whole thing happen of should we that was growing um like also in the very small spaces we share with our partners Mm -hmm. um so anyways i I mean i don't think we have to like justify it or something no no it is what it is it just that's the point in time when we started spending we the business started spending more money than we were making and we had like a whole scheme for how that would be worth it um and at the same time the kickstarter money was gone and what we determined from season two was that you know it made a big difference to record in a professional setting like it made Mm -hmm. a big difference to the audio quality and we'd figured out how to do that for not very much money per episode, really. Yeah. And so it felt that felt totally proportionate. So we we're like, okay, well, we'll start a Patreon to fund uh, to fund the episode production, which is our mm-hmm. only incremental cost for the podcast per se right now, because the identity still serves us well. Yep. And uh, the Patreon has been wonderful in having this amount of money we know we will get it'll be charged to the backers each time we publish an episode and we're inching up toward it being equal to the cost of producing an episode like we're not quite there yet maybe if you feel like kicking in we'd love that but that's not the point of this episode the point is that you know should we became bigger than the podcast so even if we got to cost neutral on patreon money in episode money out Mm -hmm. we have a whole other part of the business now which is a services business yeah and so you began coaching so that was a new source of revenue and then later i started my training and began coaching and had now a new contribution um but you know we have different rates and we're at different points in our coaching path Mm -hmm. um so that's like, I think that's another little piece of me feeling like behind in some way. Of course, it's not like a race. There is no like catching up or something because um, coaching fits into our lives in different ways and we are different coaches. Um, but because it's a, it's a partnership and I like it that way and we support each other and we are like doing this together. 
as the differences pull apart, that's it's that thing about differences. The differences between us, they're becoming more pronounced to me. And I have this like, I think it's almost like an artificial desire for like tangible equality. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it's masking something else. Like, yeah. But what is it? For me, it's something about the golden rule. Like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And I've realized recently that the golden rule becomes like a hall of mirrors nightmare trap for me a lot of the time because mm-hmm. it assumes other people are like me and have the same hang-ups and fears that I do when really they might have complementary fears and strengths and that would make things a lot easier. Yeah, I think I can't imagine ever doing what you did with the studio. I don't think I, I think I rarely share anything voluntarily except information. (laughs) Like, and that's just me, how I'm, I I love holding things close, Mm -hmm. you know, and And you, you love sharing. Well, I don't I don't know if I love sharing per se, but with the studio, I knew that the big risk with the studio was that I would touch that dream and then it would rot. And by rot, I mean like I would rent a studio space and then never go again, which has mm-hmm. happened with many a gym. You know, like I'll, I've like paid for many gyms that I go to like twice and then I'm still paying monthly for a year. I've done that at least twice, once in San Francisco, the first time I lived here, and once in Berlin. Yeah. And so I knew that was the biggest risk, and I also felt really confident that I really wanted it, and I trusted that there would be a way it all balanced out. So I wasn't that worried, and I was in a position at the time and now where I could afford to be wrong, but I really wanted to, instead of like worrying that I would be wrong, try to make it right. Mm-hmm. And making it right meant this has to be about more than me and my, like, tunnel vision of self-doubt. Like, I need a counterbalance. And one great way to counterbalance that is to make it a joyful thing to share and appreciate. And you're so good at appreciating things. <laughs> you know? I didn't need you. I Like, yeah. we just talked about gratitude in another right. episode. So I need to say, I didn't need you to be grateful. I just knew it was a cool space and a cool thing to have and that you would yeah. appreciate it and that your appreciation would pull me out of regret. Yeah. I don't think I've really particularly had any gratitude kinds of feelings. And I'm glad you don't me. because I would yeah. feel like it was less shared if it yeah. was like, it's not a gift to you. It was a gift to me. Of yeah. like, you know, <laughs> and a gift to, and an investment in the business. And I think mm-hmm. that that's where like it can, I don't want to go into justification because yeah. that's a trap in itself. And like, I really feel like it, it played out, like it became yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, you were right. You were right on all these fronts, and it's true that I have appreciated it so much, and like it's given me so much joy to like, like, um, like pretty it up and like add a new little tidbit, and and um, Stephen and I had a lot of fun like um, hanging things, Mm -hmm. like installing a bookshelf and stuff, and that was a very special experience, and. And using it. And our cadences for using it have been kind of different. So that makes it feel like we get more use out of it. But 
the whole thing comes back to this question of like, should we have a budget? And I mean, basically, there's a thing that's nagging at me, and you know, we've kind of re, kind of redesigned our relationship to our business recently, and I think that's gonna help. And then also, I have in my mind, would a budget help, or like a, a like projections or whatever, and. I don't know because I still don't really know the problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah, and what I feel really clear on is that this is a useful source of tension between us. This yeah. is like there's something for each of us to learn about ourselves, and there's something for us to create out of it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, like I think that. Even though I numbed out a little bit to get to the place where there's proof, I'm really proud of the fact that I took a risk on getting a studio space that I can look back and be like, yeah, that enabled a lot of things. And I'm really proud that we did a Kickstarter very early in the podcast's life and that that helped us see how much support was out there for us and we've drawn on the confidence that we we gained from that ever since you know yeah and so taking risks when there's some information to get out of that seems like basically always worth it to me what i don't want to do is like should we budget mm, budget like i think that budget I react to that word. So what I really feel like I can say yes to, though, is should we spend consciously? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing – so I think you don't want a budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to totally know. I know. Fine. I know. I want to do cash flow projections. <laughs> <laughs> cash flow projections, okay? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Okay, great. Um, and I think actually something that has felt really good over the past few days has been creating a wish list because, mm-hmm. you know, I love desire and I have a lot of them. So all of a sudden the floodgates are open and I can put a lot of my desires in a place and you can see you can contribute if you want or like, you know, one way I was thinking about it is you could help me re help me prioritize them like so that we have a shared prioritization of desires like to to understand like like where where we might be headed yeah and the thing that feels really exciting to me there is using uh wish using wishes as motivation you know motivation to yeah. get to the next level yeah. And not just believe that it'll all balance out and we'll eventually get to the next level. Yeah. But actually getting there step by step together. And, you know, I I just acknowledge that I have like a funny relationship to the word budget. So we'll call it that or not. But what I do agree with is that I want to invest together. You know, I want to know what we're spending together and make choices consciously together and see it not as just like one of us overextending and one of us holding the business back, um, but like 
wanting and working side by side. Yes. And um, I think empire, we've been using the term empire, that we want to build an empire. And I guess I want to call that into question now. Mm -hmm. You know, you were talking about the next level. And I think we are starting to define what the next level would look like for us. And um, it might not really look like an empire. Or we can define what empire means. There are lots of bad things about empires. Empires are mostly bad. <laughs> They're sprawling. Very uh, condescending. Patronizing. Yeah. And empire felt like a fun word for a while because, for me, it was so ambitious. Yeah, it was fun to express our, our power. Mm-hmm. And now we had this realization this week where we were like really having a serious in-depth conversation about streamlining the business and really be con being conscious about each of our commitments, aka like canceling the event that we we had we had expected to do this fall. And um we were like really coming to that conclusion and it was hard but it felt good and then we were like, "Okay, so we'll do the recording session on uh, Sunday. And they're like, oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. And then, but I have a client before that. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, I have some clients, you know, at this other time. And oh, like, and uh, later I'll write, later I'll write the newsletter. And we just had this realization like, all the, what the business has become, whatever the level we're at is, is like way beyond where we started. And we're cool with it. Like, we like doing it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like too much. Thank you to Women's Audio Mission for hosting our recording session. And Should Be Studios is not just a podcast, it's also a coaching practice. So if you would like to work with myself or Diana, uh, please write to us at hi at shouldbe.co. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you. <laughs> <laughs>